Well, I don't know about you, but I can hear the trump of the Lord. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And I don't think it's long from us. It's uh, right around the corner. And so what kind of a church ought we to be in light of the fact that the Lord is coming again? And he may be coming soon. God has placed on my heart as... I pray that he will each year at this time what, what is really on his heart for our congregation. What, what, is, what is the emphasis that is, it is on the Lord's mind and the Lord's heart for Calvary Baptist Church as we begin this new year, this new term of, of ministry. And, and uh, I can tell you that um, I'm really convinced that God has given me what he wants you to hear, what, what is on his heart. And, and under the title, Is Calvary the Place for You?, Many of you are sitting here this morning saying, well, I'm here. Yeah, but um, you need to hear what the Lord has to say. Uh, You know, life consists, and you agree with me, on a series of questions and choices that we make every day in our life. Is this the car for me? Is this the job for me? Is this the school for me? Is this the girl for me? Is this the guy for me? Is this the friend for me? And we have a certain list of criterion or reasons why we make these choices. They're not just based on feelings or what our friends might say, but we make choices, particularly important choices, critical choices, crucial choices in life. We should be basing them upon substance, upon conviction. So this morning I want to uh, talk to you about Is Calvary Baptist Church, is this the church for me, is the church for you? How does Calvary relate to your everyday life? Because as as Pastor Calvin rightly prayed, it is so great to be alive in in God's kingdom. For him to have rescued us from from death and and bring us to life. And to place us in God's household. I was just so enjoying the worship together with you this morning. Of being in God's household together. Together. And being ministered to by the people of God, by the Spirit of God. It's a joy, it's a privilege, it's a great thing to be called into the company of God's people. But for what? So we want to talk about who we are and what are the key identity issues of Calvary and where we are going. This is the anniversary of 9-11. Today is... 9-11-11. What are the key matters for us to consider? The world has changed. You'll all agree with me about that. Drastically changed. And is heating up in its change. So how do we relate to that? We're more aware of the perils, I think, today than ever before. Does Calvary understand the spiritual perils? Do we have an anti-terrorism plan spiritually? I believe the cause of Calvary is to equip you for the full experience of life God has intended for you. At the fundamental overriding picture. And if you will come with us, or stay with us, or fully engage with us, Christ will call you and cause you To be different. Now, I don't mean socially awkward. I don't mean that kind of different. 
There's surely enough of us who are socially awkward gathered together here, and God loves us. Oh, how he loves us, no matter what, Dave. He does. He loves all of us, no matter how we are. I'm not talking about that different. I'm talking about values different. I'm talking about different life horizons. I'm talking about goals different. I'm, I'm talking about a way of living different. I'm talking about living in the midst of people who have given their lives over to lesser gods. And so if you will come with us and be different, I want to share with you that I hope we're going to be different in three broad visionary ways this year as a counteractive to the main lesser gods of the day. Father, because I believe this is your heart, I ask that you would help me to deliver it to your people. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us boldly and carefully and clearly. I pray, Father, that we would listen to you with, with a, a hunger and a desire to be fed from you, to be, to be instructed by you, Lord, to be called to something by you. Why do we come together? Why are we this community? What is it about us that will enable us to please you and impact this world? So, Father, I, I do ask that, um, that you would visit us powerfully. You already have, Lord. I thank you that the atmosphere in here is, is uh, crackling with the presence of God's Spirit. I know you are here. And I know that this hour together matters to you. And I pray, Father, that you will set us on a course now for this year that will shake the region of Durham, shake our own lives, shake the world, Lord, please. For your great name's sake, I pray. Amen. I think you will agree with me that we live in a day and age of unchallenged relativism. As we think and look at the horizon, I, I guess I would label the horizon of everybody around us who doesn't know Jesus Christ and who we live uh, around, we work around or whatever, I, I would give their slogan as, whatever. That's the world we live in, the world of the people around us. Whatever. One writer has stated this, we live now in an upload world. If you aren't familiar with Computer lingo, and I'm certainly not. I'm, this is as bad as me straying into agriculture, but I'm going to go anyway. We live in an upload world. Now, now what he means by that is that, that everybody, everyone is getting in on the whole idea of being a content creator. Everybody who has some sort of idea is ready to change the world with their idea. And there are no screens, there are no filters, there are no preventatives. It's just get on your computer and write it down and ship it to the world. Now, you know, you used to have to go through publishers and you used to have to go through filters. and You used to have to be checked for, for some sort of informational accuracy. That's gone. If you have a computer... And you're on the internet, you can change the world with your bizarre ideas. I find that almost worse than any sort of form of terrorism. Because the pen has always been more powerful than the sword. 
Well, that presents for the church of Jesus Christ some interesting dynamics, interesting opportunities, interesting challenges. And so I would submit to you as our first broad visionary way that needs to be fleshed out more is this. We are called to be champions of the truth in the murky malaise of relativism. That's who we are. That's what we're called to be. We live in a day and age where there is the spiritual terrorists ideologically are those who are writing the ideas and foisting them on the world. It's the worship of the God of relativism. What does that mean? When people no longer believe in absolute truth. One um, reality to that, of course, is that there is no agreed upon authority today for one belief or another. Very few people anymore are buying into the idea that there is one truth amid a series of possibilities. The uh, late Robert McNeil of the uh, McNeil-Lauer Report fame, many of you old, older timers who watch PBS and kind of intelligent television, paid attention to this kind of thing. Is anybody with me? Anybody know this? Okay, that's good. I was, I was nervous that, uh, that I was on my own here. I am anyway, I realize that. But it, Mac, McNeil said this in a study. He, he said, by age 20, everybody has watched 20,000 hours of television. Now, I, I just want to break that down for you because that's, that's kind of old news, television. Who's watching television anymore? I, I think, though, if we, we can just overlap the internet or television and say they're, they're both media-driven, they're both media brought into your life, and, and the frequency has probably not gone down. So we're talking about a thousand hours of media being pumped into your brain, into your mind, every year. Now let me put you that in perspective for you in terms of what is being pushed into your, your children's lives, into your life likely, in comparison to God's Word. If you were to attend every sermon this year in the morning, you would only get 39 hours of God's truth over against a thousand hours of television. Now, if you're really keen and you come to church twice on Sunday, you're going to get 78 hours of God's truth per year over against a thousand. If you come three times a week because you come out to some sort of Bible study, now we're up to, uh, I think it's 117 or 116 or something of that nature. Hours, 117 hours per year. If you're going to even compete, if you're going to even come parallel, if you're going to even match what you're getting from the social media, from the media of the relativists, the information pressed on you by the relativists, you're going to have to come to church three times a week listening to God's truth and supplement it with every day with two and a half hours of God's word. How are you doing? I think that's the scary reality for the church. By the time a kid is 20 years old, he or she has got the equivalent of four degrees in TV. You understand that? 
5,000 hours equals a bachelor's degree. 5,000 hours of information equals a bachelor's degree. Four degrees in TV. Of course, we have values around us, but they're without virtues. We have tolerance. But as I heard a former Muslim woman on a amazing essay that was on TV state, you can't offer tolerance to those who can't reciprocate. Brilliant. What does God's word tell us we are to be? 1 Timothy 3.15 We are God's household, Paul says, the church, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. That's who we are called to be. That's who we are. We are God's household. Where can people go? When, when we are talking about the realities of our culture, the realities of the people you live around and work with and all of that, the family you have, where can people go to be assured of truth, to be told what is true, those who are tired of being misled, those who are tired of being taken advantage of and being uncertain and confused and in conflict, where can they go? God says, go to my household. Run to my household there. They are the ones who are the pillar and foundation of the truth. I I believe with all of my heart that God is pressing this not to simply be a biblical informational session for us, but to be a call from God to your hearts and my heart to say to us, God wants us to be the pillar and foundation of the truth in Durham region. Are Are we the only pillar and foundation of truth? No, we're not God's only household. We're part of a bigger household of God. But we're... I'm just talking about us this morning, and I don't want to talk about the fact that we're, 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 we're negating anybody else. No one else is doing what we're doing. I'm just saying this is what God wants us to do. God wants us to make sure, above all, that we are the pillar and foundation of truth. What does that mean? God's household. It means that, that we, God's people, are, are to be as, exactly as God wants us to be. It's a possessive. God's household God owns us, not as some novel people wish it would be. It belongs to him, not to its members. And the psalmist says in Psalm 135, verse 5, God does whatever he pleases. It is the church of the living God, Paul puts it, over against the idols, the dead idols of relativism. And by the way, the pillar and foundation... In, the, in the, uh, the dynamic of the grammar there, the only. That's it. God's household is the only entity in the universe that he has created that has been given the truth. The world hates to hear that, hear us say that. It sounds so elitist. It sounds so arrogant. I'm just simply reporting the facts to you from God's word. That's who we are. That's who he's called us to be. I, I, did, a, I did interviews for a, a, a paper I was doing earlier in the spring. And I, I went around. I was, I was interviewing people who don't go to church generally. And I asked them uh, questions like, you know, 
how relevant is God and how relevant is Jesus and all of that. And, and I asked them, what about the church? What do you think about the church? And you know what I got from almost everybody? The church needs to adapt to the ways and the values of today. God says, I'm not adapting. That's what God says. I'm not adapting. I, I present to you the truth. The truth is not going to adapt. It's the truth. And, 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 and God presents that. We've been entrusted with what is true and will always be truth. The church is to be rock, solid, unmovable, pillar, foundation, those kinds of words. Foundation, by the way, anybody who knows any about construction knows that it keeps everything consistently aligned against the attempts to, to, to fudge the lines, to, to cause it to collapse. And pillar holds it all up for everyone to see. Jesus Christ, the living God of truth. He says, I am the way and what? The truth and the life. And he moves into the believer's life. And in so doing, the truth moves into us. That's why the truth is in God's people, God's household. So who are we? Who are we going to be? Where are we going? We believe that not only does absolute truth exist, but that the church alone has been chosen among God's creation to warehouse and champion the truth to the world. The church carries God's saving truth for the world. I, I want it to be known that Calvary, at Calvary, when the people think about Calvary Baptist Church, Calvary Church, when people in the community think of Calvary Church, it's a truth. It's truth. They think truth. This is a place where you can be told the truth. This is the place where you can be treated truthfully. Not this building. Although that's part of it. You. You're God's household. You understand? We are God's household. People are God's household. The people of God are God's household. So when people think of you, identified with Calvary, you are truth. You, you present the truth. You, you stand on the truth. You hold up the truth for everyone to see. Truth exudes from your life. The truth comes from your life. We've sung a lot this morning about, about making an impact, making a difference for God wherever we are. That's about holding up the truth. We need to act and behave and believe like what we are. We need to be um, a kind of spiritual swaggerville. Hey, anybody, uh, anybody a Winnipeg Blue Bomber fan? You heard about that now? It's like swaggerville in Winnipeg because they've won a few games for, for the first time in many years. Okay. <laughs> So, so now, now it's all Swaggerville in Winnipeg. Well, isn't that great? Winnipeg always needs something to be swagger about. I mean, they don't have a lot of good things going on there. So, so in, in, any, any Winnipeg, any pegs here? Huh? Oh, no. Oh, boy. All right, well, you know my email address. We can talk. But, but here we go. And, and I don't mean pride. I mean Confidence. We know the truth. Let's live it. Let's be confident about it. Let's not get washed over by the relativistic ideas of the age. There is absolute truth. We believe the word of God is truth, John 17, 17, because Jesus said so. And that truth is interpreted and applied by Calvary Baptist Church according to its literal and normal meaning. 
We want to understand specifics of, of how I seek to lead in that truth. This is it. There's all kinds of intellectual terrorists trying to bring down the towers of scriptural confidence today. I don't want to be one of those. I'm entirely confident in the word of God as it is given to us, as it has been presented once for all to the saints. This is the, spirit, this is the foundation and pillar of the truth. God's word presented to us in its normal, literal meaning. Now some people won't be interested in that. In fact, there are, unfortunately, our opposition is not only against lost people today. In our seminaries, in our pulpits, in our evangelical seminaries, in our evangelical pulpits, there are so-called intelligent people claiming that modern science and an historic Adam and Eve cannot coexist. And they add on and they tack on, if you take the Bible literally, well, I do. So when I ask the question, is Calvary the place for you, I'm declaring to you that I take the Bible literally. I present it to you literally, and I will continue to do that. I'm entirely confident in the way the scriptures have been written. They've been given to us by God. Science, and I have a degree in science. Science is based on the best observations of finite minds. History is redacted by biased reporters. But the word of God will stand forever. That's the distinction. That's the difference. So to those people who are finally frustrated by the self-destructive effects of relativism, I'd like to believe that Calvary Baptist Church will be known as the people who have the truth. That we know the mystery of godliness, Paul says. We know the mystery of godliness, the revealed secret of true religion. He has appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. It's the person of Christ. We know the mystery of godliness. We know the revealed secret of true religion. It is the person of Jesus Christ. So you are the pillar You, those who follow Jesus Christ, you are the pillar and foundation of the truth. Are you using the truth to shore up the structures you influence around you? Or is there a serious sag in some places? Are you caving into the terrorist onslaught, attempting to suppress the truth? Because as Paul reminded us in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following, those who suppress the truth will face deductive disorders in their mind. They will face mental disorders. They will, they will succumb to sexual disorders. And they will succumb to the greatest dis- disorder of all, worship disorder. So we are called to be people of the truth. Secondly, We are called to be on mission while all around are chasing material things. It's not a new problem. But I can tell you, you and me and all of us who live in the Western world, that the Western fiscal policies of limitless indebtedness are rocket fuel for materialism. So while materialism is not a new problem... 
it has acutely become a horrible problem to the Western world for sure. And that's the world fundamentally in which we at Calvary Baptist Church are ministering. The God of materialism, by the way, by definition, a materialist is someone who believes that created things are theirs to possess. Nothing could be further from the truth. It starts by wrong thinking about creation. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We don't own a thing. Do you understand that? I don't think we do. There isn't a thing that you have that you own. Not a thing. And you become a materialist when you think you do. That's what the world is clamoring for, to own things, to accumulate things. There is nothing created that you can own. Because God owns it all. The earth, either this is true, either what I'm telling you is true from God's word, because you're kind of just looking at me. I don't know if you're with me or not. I'm just telling you God says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness or everything in it is God's. Have you come to that realization? Have you looked in the mirror sometime in your life, looked in the mirror and said, I don't own a thing. I'm not talking about a college student because that's usually true. (laughs) I'm talking about after you have a real job and and you you purchase yourself a house, you got yourself a woman and you got some kids and and, and all of that stuff. You got a car, a few cars, you got a cottage, you got a skidoo, you got a sea do, all that kind of stuff. You say, you got to look at the mirror and say, I don't own a blessed thing. That'll change your life. Jesus, um, over against the prevailing mood of materialism, uh, he set forth a vision for resource management and makes it all about mission. In Matthew chapter 28. He says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus. Which, by the way, just shoots down and dispels all the tenets of relativism. That says there's no authority over anything, any, any information. Jesus says, all authority is mine. has been given to me. Then he says, therefore, in light of that. Basically, Jesus says, all stuff is my stuff. Now that we have that out of the way, here's what I want you to do with my stuff. It's really simple. Matthew 28, 19, 20 are really simple. You just simply take them down the vernacular. All, all stuff is my stuff, Jesus says. And now that you know that, now you get that straight in your mind, I want, here's what I want you to do with my stuff. I want you to go on mission with my stuff. That's it. We are to unapologetically be on a mission, which is his mission, to gather people who will passionately turn their backs on however they were living to receive Jesus as Lord of their lives. Can I say that to you again? This is our mission. This is, this is what the mission is. This is what Jesus' mission is. Go make disciples of all nations. Basically, Jesus is telling us, be unapologetically on my mission with my stuff to gather people who will passionately turn their backs on however they were living to receive Jesus as Lord of their lives.
to take them away from whatever is in the way of wholehearted life given over to Christ. To take them away from a church, to take them away from a family, to take them away from work, whatever. Take them away from whatever is hindering them from being full-hearted to me. Because that's what disciple means. Here's what his all-authority point really was. Jesus delivers into our hand resources to do mission, but not to accumulate holdings unemployed in mission, ever. Because that's materialism. He gives us talents. Whatever isn't employed in mission is hoarded talents. He gives us stuff, things. Whatever is not employed in mission is hoarded stuff. And, and moves us toward materialism. But that's the battle we're in. We're in the battle of the God of materialism versus mission of Christ. And believe me when I say this, and I think you do resonate with this, it is the hardest fight of our lives living in the affluent GTA. Because somehow we presume some stuff is my stuff. And Jesus wants us to look at every single thing we have, every ability we have, everything, and say, how can I employ that as a tool for mission. How can it be a tool of discipleship? By the way, the best way to be a disi- best way to disciple is to be one. The best advertises satisfied customer. Make disciples by being a witness of what the Lord has done for you. So I just want to say to you that I, I believe we will we need to be, we will, we will as a church reinvest our resources any way we need to employ them in the rescue of people, lost people. We need to establish this ministry headquarters as a pace setter of spiritual resource management and investment. I think you all know I'm a really competitive person. And I finally found a way that God is going to bless that. So stay with me. I want us, and I want you to hear me right on this, I want us to be the most competitive group of people that have ever existed on the face of the earth for the hearts and minds of lost people. That's what I want us to be. I want us to take all of those competitive resources and juices and energy and desire and and turn it to mission. I, I, I I want us to take our resources and invest them in mission as Because we're in competition with Satan, we're in competition with sloppiness, we're in competition with casual, we're we're in competition with with other distractions, we're in competition with satisfied, we're in competition with religiously passionate people who are not religiously passionate about Jesus. Because Jesus said, go make disciples of all people. That to me is a competitive statement. When Jesus says stuff like that to me, it's like, okay, that's, that's co- the competition, bring it on, it's on. He wants all. Thank you, Johnny. He wants all. 
So we will pursue mission with excellence and offer our best and raise the bar and pour what is ever necessary into this resource, into our mission resource, into whatever we're doing in order to give a facelift, a reality check to the whole community of, of Oshawa. We, we, need to, we need to make statements like, or think about what are the things we need to do with the things God owns to send a message to our community that we are all about using our stuff for maximum mission. Because I think they're looking. I think they're watching to see, does this stuff really matter to you? Are you really passionate about all of this stuff? Now, by the way, as one writer puts it, and I, correct, I agree totally, the motive for seeking to engage a wider constituency is not to increase market share, but to advance the kingdom. So, let me ask you, what is the mission strategy to maximize the, the Great Commission to those immediately around us? Where God has placed us first, around you. What is your mission plan for the people that God has put in your life around you? Your family, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers. Will you release all of God's resources for mission? Have you mistaken anything as owned by you? What have you not made available to God? Third, and I'll wind this up quickly with you. What's the greatest command for Calvary? What is it? What do you think the greatest command is? Yeah, we don't, have to, we don't have to make this up. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I think the third broad visionary category that God is pressing us into is to be called to love God and others when all around are naturally worshiping themselves. That's the distinctive. That will, that will set the bar high. The God of self is, is this when self-fulfillment is the measure of all things. Can I, can I just remind you that if the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and to love your neighbors yourself, it would seem to me that the greatest sin is to love yourself. Jesus said, if you'll be my disciple, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. There's been a whole lot of... Um, intellectual gymnastics in the theological world to try and somehow respond to this great commandment and dilute it. That somehow we can love the Lord and still love ourselves a whole lot. That God is somehow, the loving the Lord is somehow subjective. That God is more interested that we love Him than how we love Him. I want to dispel that. That's not true. And, and, and there's also all kinds of theological gymnastics with the idea of love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and people try to say, well, therefore you have to love yourself before you can love your neighbor. That's, that's, that's not true either. That's not what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself is not subjective. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. It's to bring God into your life as your personal mission. 
Here's, here's the deal. I show God he counts most when I opt to obey him rather than the other appealing, tempting options at my disposal. God is not into goo. He's into gratitude. That translates into obedience based upon his ownership. Now, you don't need to believe me, but believe the scriptures. 1 John 5, 3. This is love for God. To obey his commands. It's not rocket science. This is put force. It's objective. It's an objective. The school of learning to love God comes from the systematic lessons of denying myself. I've found that in my own life. That's the simple reality. The more I'm willing to deny myself, the, more, the, the easier it is to love God. The less I'm willing to deny myself, the harder it is for me to love God. And by the way, they work together. The, the less I'm willing to deny myself, the less I'm willing to love my neighbor. Basically, Jesus is saying, you already understand how to love yourself. That's why he says, as you love yourself. You already get that. It comes natural to you. Now, I know there's all kinds of psychology studiers in here will say, oh, come on, I'm going to take you on in that one. Don't try to take me on in that one. We all know how to love ourselves. Even when we're, even when we're standing in front of people and saying, I don't love myself, we are really saying, I'm not getting paid enough attention to, and I want you to show me that I matter. And you know what? We should. We, uh, that's another sermon, loving each other and all of that kind of stuff. In fact, this one is it. Love your neighbor. You're my neighbor. You're my neighbor. Whoever I bump into is my neighbor. We know how to love ourselves. That's why Jesus said, as you love yourself. Jesus saying, employ what you already know. You already know how to benefit yourself. Employ that to the benefit of other people. The key to training in biblical love is learning to benefit others in everything. Offering to everyone else what you already have learned to do for yourself. And by the way, if you can't get it right, with the people you can touch and see, God says, you won't be able to get it right with the God who lives in the unseen heavenlies. Anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Because to love God with all my heart and to love my neighbor as myself requires learning to deny myself. There's no other formula. You can do all the theological gymnastics you want with that, but it won't work any other way than denying yourself following Christ. So God is saying to us, we will love God here in God's household by obeying him. We will love God by loving God's children. And we will love others by benefiting them. These are the three broad values that I, I believe God wants us to flesh out strategies and tactics 
together to make Calvary Baptist Church, this part of God's household, impactful in Durham region. Our Father, as we um, proclaim in song to you now a promise, a request for you, that you would take your call in our lives and translate it into application, Father. I pray that with great passion we would present ourselves to you as we embark upon this new year you've given us to live abundantly and passionately God's household. Once we were dead in darkness and now we are alive in light. Lord, do powerful things in and through us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's a great call to the Lord. And I hope it's really come from our hearts. Let's, let's know that we are facing a serious battle against the gods of relativism. There is no truth. Against the god of materialism, the accumulation of stuff. And against the god of self. It's all about me. And God has given us this great mission, this glorious mission. We are people of truth. We are people who love the Lord and love one another and deny ourselves. We are people who employ God's stuff in his mission. That's a great thing to be, a, a great reality to be called to. So I trust that if this is the place for you, having heard all of this, then we'll see you all back here next week. Better than that, We'll see you back here tonight. Come and worship and praise our great God together. Lift up his name. These are desperate times. We are people called on mission in urgent days. Meet up with Dave in the lobby and uh, share with him how much you were blessed by his ministry today. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much. I just pray with my heart, Lord, that you would do it. Because we are weak and feeble, but Lord, we want to be your household, people of truth. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to to employ the stuff you've given to us, everything, on your mission. It all belongs to you. And Lord, thank you for granting us so much to do so much. Lord, help us to lift the bar, raise the bar, do ministry with excellence. Then, Father, I pray that we love you with all of our hearts and we love our neighbors as ourselves. We deny ourselves and, and, and benefit those around us, Father, with what you've given to us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.